good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today, in this podcast, we're going to discuss abortion and the recent Roe v. Wade decision. Today, we'll lead off with Genesis chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So, with my body, my choice, under the influence of the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. Right. Everybody buckle up. The current event, SCOTUS, that's Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS overturns Roe v. Wade. And, of course, the result is outrage from all kinds of people on one side of the political spectrum. And the slogan of the day is, my body, my choice. Mm. Well, what is the Christian expectation? That we should be striving to be good stewards of the bodies God gives us, whether the one we have or one that we have by way of pregnancy. The worldview of my body, my choice, comes up against the purposes of God and his choice to give us our bodies for his glory. When God looks at any human body, he alone can say, that's my body, my choice. And then, of course, the Christian expectation would be that our bodies be choice for him. Mm. So, let's go over some roads we've traveled before in Genesis, but for this edition is uh, helpful. How did we get bodies? Randy's going to be reading from Genesis 2, verses 6 and 7, 21 and 22. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Ah, yes, the the first... uh... Marriage planner, data ranger, and the first direct creation, but from pre-existing matter. You notice the mist and the dust making clay. And he likes ribs. And he likes ribs. (laughs) Absolutely. Said the woman who was being ribbed, yes. And after that, a new creation from the first, you know, Eve out of Adam. This is how Paul states it in 1 Corinthians 11.8, verses 11 and 12. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Exactly. And all things come from God. The man, the woman, and therefore what they produce together. That God owns the world and everything in it is affirmed in many ways in the Bible. For example, God tells Job in Job 41, 11, Who was first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Absolutely. And the psalmist of 24, 1 asserts the same thing. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Boy, that's a concise and... uh, <laughs> pretty pretty direct. Pretty direct statement yeah. about uh, God's ownership. You can't get more more plain and obvious than that. And so it goes from the worldwide creation down to the individual and his works. Let's take a look at Psalm 138.8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. 
Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Yeah, the work of your hands. That's how Job describes it in Job 10, that he's the work of God's hands in the womb onward. Also, uh, works come up in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, created in Christ. We'll take a look at that again uh, in just a moment. And good works were created before we were existing, in order that we would walk therein. And it's not just that all creation is God's. It's also true that all creation belongs to Christ, whether it be Christian or pagan or anything in between, from grass to galaxies and every living entity, seen or unseen, because we have these words from Paul in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There you go. Now this emphasis on God the Creator owning everything is the context in which to understand why abortion is so rampant. Deny the Creator and his creation so that creation is no longer seen as sacred, no longer seen as his primarily, which is why you would see it as sacred. Mm -hmm. And with the eroding of the Judea-Christian tradition, the universal belief in evolution, uh, stage was set uh, for Satan's God-denying influence. But if we are biblically oriented, we confess that God owns everyone, and Christians even more so. So as Christians, we need to appreciate this. Just a little background. This is because since our creation is through Christ, as Randy just read from Colossians 1, he twice owns our bodies, not just because of creation, but because of his work of salvation. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. There you go. You were bought with a price. But I thought it was my body, my choice. It's not your body, your choice. It's God's <laughs> body, and he tells you the choices you need to make to uh, have a good body and glorify him. Uh, Paul Addressing the elders at Ephesus, as he says, for may not see my face again, he has these words to say to him in Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Uh, indeed, Paul says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen familiar passage. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are past. All has become new. Hmm. As Christians, we are twice born, as we find in uh, John chapter 3, when Jesus tells Nicodemus he has to be born again, literally born from above. And so we're twice owned. And the coming immortal body we will be given is from God as well. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 53. I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body 
must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Immortality. The body we're going to get is not our choice, but his. He didn't consult us before birth or after our birth about what kind of body we wanted in the world to come. And this will be the third time he's laid claim to us. Take note, he didn't consult us as to what kind of body or bodies we would have. We didn't get to vote. We didn't get to vote. It's a unilateral decision. It was, is, and always will be his sovereign choice. We are not our own, and if we are pregnant, and to be clear about that, that we're referring to women now, <laughs> not the new revelation of men being pregnant. Uh, and if we are pregnant, the body inside ours is not ours, but God's. The owner calls us to be stewards of his gifts. So whether created in the womb or recreated spiritually by grace now, and to be recreated for immortality through the grace to come at the second coming, all of us, every human on earth and in the womb, belong to God. And this is how David exclaims and explains the process of his being conceived and made in the womb. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15, uh, 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Yet knitted together in his mother's womb. What an image. And notice it says, it's me. Me. It wasn't just a piece of flesh. It was him being made there. Job says the same thing, more or less, Job 10, verses 8 through 11, as he addresses God, this is what he says. Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Yes, notice how that goes along with what, what David said, although there's a thousand years from Job to David, and yet the belief, as we see it recorded in the Bible, still the is still the same. It's not scientific words, but it's words that people can understand. Starts off, Job starts off with things that are sort of fluid, and then moves to things that become more and more solid. Milk becomes cheese. The pliable skin and flesh become bone and sinew, and so forth and so on. And modern science has not reduced the wonder of this, but increased it. And there is a wonder in life's beginning in the womb, as much as in the wonder of the cosmos. And this is true, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Handiwork in the sky, handiwork in the womb, as David and Job talk about, um, from the womb of, womb of inner space to the, the wonder of outer space. God's created all, and it's all his. It's all done in wisdom. So there is in pregnancy God's own creation awaiting birth, and his purposes for this creation began before conception, listen to what he says to Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knew him as a person, a human, before he even brought to pass his conception. This must be clearly understood. Life just doesn't start even at conception, for life had its start in the purposes of God before the world began. And not just Jeremiah, but all who would believe our purpose for God's glory before conception. So abortion is not just about the destruction of the unborn. It's also a rebellious thwarting, 
of God's eternal purposes for his people. For example, listen to this from Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4a. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We were chosen before the foundation of the world, meaning he had to know who he was choosing, mm. so he knew it was me, knew it was Randy, knew it was the people he was choosing. So we won't get into the great controversy here of how that is possible with free will and predestination. That's not the point of this podcast. That's, that's for another podcast. That's another podcast. Yeah. We just want to make the point that it's not just conception we're left story. It is, first of all, in the purpose and mind of God, he knows everyone, just like he names the stars, all the stars, and how many stars are there? Yeah, gazillions. Uh, he names people. So, my body, my choice, cancels God's choice for the people he will bodily create for his purposes. So, how many, so elected before the world began, have been deleted by mankind, by homicide, by war, and by abortion, who are those he especially cares for, because they are the vulnerable and defenseless. And in the Bible, Revelation is, those who are most vulnerable and defenseless deserve the defense of us mm. to take care of them. Here is Isaiah 117. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Yeah, the fatherless, the orphans, and the widows, they were the vulnerable ones there. So when we move to the New Testament, James chapter 1 tells us the same thing. If you want true religion... It's about seeing and visiting the widows in their need, uh, orphans, and keeping yourself uh, unpolluted from the world. And that pollution is going to come up here in a little bit in the rest of our podcast. So, uh, kudos to all those pro-lifers who since 1973 have played the long game, which is God's game, starts in eternity, <laughs> and comes to fruition here on planet Earth during our lifetime. God who is long-suffering and merciful and His purposes planned before the world was. So, if God so loved the world the one he created and owns, and he loves the world, so obviously if he owns it, loves the world, he loves everyone in it, and gave his only son for the whole world, humanity, then this gift of salvation for the whole world clearly began before creation. Listen to these words from Titus 1, 1 and 3, and then chapter 2, verse 11. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of our God and Savior. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. There you go. It's for everybody. And he was for everybody before the world began. So he knows the bodies he's talking about. No doubt, such unborn, aborted ones will have a place in the world to come, for God's purposes cannot be ultimately frustrated. But this temporary frustration of God's purposes, this horror, has its roots among God's people in the Old Testament due to their wretched idolatry, which is the basic problem with abortion, that climaxes in the sacrificing of their children for the greater good, that is, so their parents' lives would be better something God had already promised his people if only they would live faithfully for him. Israel, a nation foreknown and created by God, 
frustrates God's purposes for them. Listen to Romans 11, uh, 1 through 2. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Yes. And this goes back to the Old Testament, but we'll just use one selection because it ties into the Moloch problem. And that's Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Yes, except it would be the children who would go through the fire in their dedication, in their idolatry, to the God known as Moloch. So let's take a brief review of the Moloch problem in the Old Testament and then see how that connects up eventually with the abortion problem today. Listen to this in Leviticus 18.21. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Don't offer your children up. And what exactly does that mean? We move on to Leviticus 20, verse 2. Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall be surely put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Yes, not just God's people, but the sojourners, the strangers, people who are not Israelites. Everybody. They had to follow this as well. And then we move on to Ahaz and 2 Kings 16.3. But he who walked in the way of the king of Israel, he even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nation whom the Lord God drove out before the people of Israel. Yes, Ahaz did that. Now, he was followed by Hezekiah, one of the great kings. There was a great revival. You can all read that about in 2 Kings uh, after Ahaz. And uh, so the offerings to Moloch and idolatry was banished from the land for a brief time. And later, after Manasseh and Ammon, who was the son of Manasseh, uh, which under whose reigns there was more idolatry in Moloch, uh, was the revival of Josiah in 2 Kings 23.10. We read this. And he defiled Topeth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. That had been going on previous to Josiah, um, not during Hezekiah's time, but during Ammon and Manasseh. And he made sure no one went to those places to do, do that again. What was God's view of all this? Jeremiah 32, 35. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did I enter into, into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Absolutely. God says, It never entered my mind that you should do that kind of sacrificing with your children to the fires of Molech. But between Hezekiah and Josiah is the worst of the lot, Manasseh. And here's just some few verses we called from 2 Chronicles 33 about him. And these are verses 1 through 2, 6, and 9. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, 
according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Yes, the people before were idolaters, but Manasseh went better with his idolatry. We'll come back to that verse 9 in a little bit. So here's a good question. Are we in a Manasseh time in this country Mm. with a Josiah revival to come? Or is it the judgment of God? Even after Josiah's reign, which was a good reign, there was, it's interesting because the scriptures state the same thing about Hezekiah and his grandson Josiah. In their day, there was no one like them, before or after. So you know it was a righteous reign. Not perfect, but righteous. And certainly the Moloch business wasn't going on. But listen to these words from 2 Kings 23, verses 26 and 27. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah, because of all the provocations that which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Yes, even after Manasseh's horrible, unparalleled reign, it was followed by the revival of Josiah, but that was not enough. God was still burning with anger and judgment was coming. Josiah was sort of a last chance revival uh, for the people of the land. That was it. Here's a quote from Mother Teresa, and I, I consider her sort of an expert on this subject. She says, any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, now listen to this, but to use any violence to get what it wants. Mm. Now we're gonna see there's a connection between abortion and the rise of violent crimes we're seeing spiritually as well physically in this country. So what is happening, and we did a podcast just a while back on why is crime rising, and I didn't have time to put this in, so we knew it was gonna be around addressing this, so we just make the point here. What she says is, that abortion teaches people to use violence, to use violence to get what it wants. And so that is connected to the rise of crime, I believe, in this country. Uh, The fires of Moloch are not easily extinguished. Uh, This killing of the unborn uh, desensitizes us to violence, such as Mother Teresa points out. This is because abortion strikes at the very heart of God's creation, and Mm. such violence has ramifications And listen to this, because all of creation is connected. In Acts 17, Paul makes that sermon to the intellectuals in Mars Hill and says, God has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Mm. Paul says, in Adam, all die. There's a connection there. When Paul describes the church as a body, each part affecting the other, he's showing God's desire for all mankind, as well as how he created mankind, to be connected. What one does affects the other. Here's a statement from John Donne, which some of our audience might know. Uh, He was a great poet, but he was also a preacher once he got converted. He was a really uh, rascal before before he was converted. And this is actually from one of his sermons that later on worked its way into some of his poetry. No man is an island, entire of itself, 
Every man is a piece of a continent. And he goes on to say that anyone's death diminishes me. So do not ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. So let's come back to Manasseh. Manasseh is the primary example of the truth that idolatry leads to idolatry on steroids. Again, listen to this from 2 Chronicles 33.9. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Yes, it's hard to believe, but they, a lot. they outdid the pagans. Yeah. That is what's happening in our country as well. For the country would did have sort of an orientation to God, certainly, but it's eroded and um, things are not well. So, Israel, foreknown by God, plunges into degradation through idolatry, illicit sex, and child sacrifice. But again, a light in the darkness. Manasseh repented. Hard to believe. Kings doesn't mention it, but the chronicle of uh, chronicler of Second Chronicles does. Second Chronicles 33, 10-13. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and said to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. There you go. Wow. If Manasseh can repent and be forgiven for his sins, surely so can those involved in the forfeiture of innocent life. Or even someone that might have had an abortion themselves or taken life. You know, that, that, that yes. guilt racks people. Exactly. Yeah. So there is forgiveness, repentance, and Manasseh is the best picture of that because he went further down than anybody else and mm -hmm. was brought back up by calling upon the Lord. So, but the problem he left behind apparently was irreversible. So much damage had already been done. And it's only about 90 years from Manasseh until God's judgment through Babylon began in 597 B.C. Let's do a brief survey of how we have sunk in just the last 70 years. Here's another quote from Mother Teresa. It is a poverty to decide that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. Note the progression of idolatry in our land. It began with changing the laws concerning contraceptives, which were illegal coming into the 20th century. Why? Well, traditional wisdom understood that a nation that doesn't reproduce is bound for oblivion. As far as the families go, as the families go, so goes a nation. So that's a truth. And whatever the ultimate biblical teaching is on birth control, there's no doubt that the pill began a contraceptive revolution. Whereas it was clearly a benefit to married couples, because it was convenient, absolutely, it opened the door to widespread promiscuity on a scale not seen before, especially after 1972. And you know, there are documentaries out there, uh, YouTube, internet, which uh, deal with from 1968 to 1972 and the big change this culture went through. I lived through it. And big difference from 1965 to 1975, just 10 years, you can see. So in 1960, the pill made by science came to pass. Keep in mind, birth control goes back to the Egyptians, believe it or not. They knew how to deal with that problem, if it's a problem indeed. And on through the ages, all kinds of arrangements for uh, contraceptives. 
But the pill was revolutionary because of the convenience. Mm. And then in 1965, in the Supreme Court case of Griswold versus Connecticut, the ruling was that it's unconstitutional for the government to prohibit married couples from using contraceptives. And then in 1972, contraceptives became legal for the unmarried with the SCOTUS decision in Einsenstadt versus Baird. That's in March of 72. Then the next year, abortion on demand, Roe v. Wade, January 22nd, 1973. So you would think with this revolution in contraceptives, we wouldn't be having problems with abortion. You would think. Yeah. But it happened. And so by the early 70s, the sexual revolution was in full swing. And it was not about needing more contraceptives. And there, there's a push right now to get uh, contraceptives, uh, the pill, over the counter. But there's no push for that like there is for abortion. And that tells you a story right there. Mm. The pill is accessible to everyone. They're available via prescription at Planned Parenthood. You can see the article, uh, Atia at Planned Parenthood, uh, from April 14th, 2021, explains how you can get a prescription from Planned Parenthood. There are also condoms, IUDs, spermicides, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With so many ways to avoid pregnancy, how is it so many women still get unwanted pregnancies? With contraceptives widely available, why is abortion still being used as a post facto contraceptive? Even if the pill does go over the counter, there's every reason to believe the abortion slaughter will continue. For it is clear now in the wake of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade that abortion is the goal. They're not pushing contraceptives. They're pushing abortion. Uh, it's not about contraceptives, their uses or availability. The rage we witness over my body, my choice is not a slogan for the right to contraceptives, but the right to do abortions, creating to destroy. So we're back to idols. Note well this word in Psalm, which succinctly sums up the idolatry and the uh, sacrifices given to Moloch. Psalm 106, 36 to 39. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they become unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Yes, pollution, that is, acts so abominable, so demonic, that they spread across the land, defiling the land and the people so much, uh, so much so that... Tons of blood was shed over and above the sacrificing of children. Indeed, this was the culmination of Manasseh's reign. Listen to this from 2 Kings 21.16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, besides the sin that made Judah sin, that's idolatry. But beyond the, the bloodshed by idolatry, like the, the burning of the, of the children, uh, this is later in the passage, and it says, on top of that, he shed so much innocent blood, he filled up Jerusalem and the land uh, with the blood. Uh, this is uh, traditionally, both Jewish and Christian tradition affirm that this is when Isaiah was killed by Manasseh, mm -hmm. sawn in half. That's alluded to in Hebrews 11. And uh, from Josephus, Jewish historian, says that during the reign of Manasseh, um, there was so much killing, people opposed his ungodly reign. There were people who stood up and, and spoke against it. They were killed, whether they were righteous people, whether they were the prophets who were speaking for God. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. They were killed. Now, remember Mother Teresa's quote that abortion teaches we can solve our problems with violence. 
And just think of what's going on now, and has been for some time across our land. And note the demonic involvement stated in Psalm 106, which helps explain the kind of rebellion that continues heading straight toward infanticide. So it's not laziness. It's not lack of sex education. It is rebellion, unrepentant, ugly. The mission of Moloch. And those fires are getting hotter. So Jesus is about life. He says in John 10, I came to give you life and to give it abundantly, in abundance. What about, however, the most vulnerable, those who cannot defend themselves? If a nation goes on destroying them, as the psalmist says, those who forget God will be turned into Sheol. The dustbin of history, I think, is the slogan that Ronald Reagan was <laughs> like to use. All nations that forget God will be turned into Sheol. Nevertheless, the Christian expectation is that we who are his glorify him as our creating, redeeming Lord who is for us from earth to birth, from womb to tomb, even from eternity to maternity, God is for us. Well, thanks, Jim. And you've given us a lot to think about, and I'm sure that there might be questions and comments about it. And we'd love to hear those questions or comments from you, so please send your questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment where possible, and we will always answer. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. Until next time, keep looking up.